Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, people, I, I went voting today. Uh, please go voting. And uh, me and Joanne went to the place around the corner. It's in Burbank. It's the uh, assisted living facility, which is very weird because these poor elderly people are sitting there and people are just showing up. Because my mom is in an assisted living facility in Virginia. And I know if people started coming in, well, first of all, she would probably talk to all of them. But they sat there and they came in. And they're probably like, oh, my God, our, our place is either getting full of visitors or a bunch of hooligans are coming. So anyway, go out and vote, people. And I voted. And uh, my guest today is a very talented actor. Uh, actor. He's, had, he's, does so, he's done so much. He's a martial arts guy. He's, um, he has a, a, a bunch of events coming up called the Sword Experience, which I really want to talk about. It's so exciting. My guest is Adrian Paul. How you doing, Adrian? Good morning. How are you, Steve? Good. We, just so you know, people, we got disconnected, so we're starting over. So <laughs> I feel bad. Adrian's got to tell his story. But we were saying in, earlier, okay, so as a kid, you, were, you, you, played, you played the football. You liked the football. Yeah, that's, that's what I started off doing. I mean, you know, as a, I was actually went to a rugby school when I was, when I was, uh, when I was 10. Okay. Uh, I loved playing soccer, but my parents put me in a rugby school, which kind of stopped my soccer career. Unfortunately... In its prime, really, because uh, I didn't start playing again until I was 15, 16 years old. And then I played for the next four or five years for a semi-pro side. Um, and, I mean, that's all I really wanted to do ever since I was a kid was play soccer. Football, as we used to call it. Wait, now, now, why did you stop playing football? Was it because of rugby or did you get hurt or just, you know? No, no I mean, rugby I loved. I mean, you know, I, I got a, <laughs> every young man has to get his aggression out. And, uh, and rugby is very much like American football. It's a lot of contact and so uh you know my my friend's father always said to my mother she says, oh it's good for the boys you know gets their aggression out um but uh i stopped playing soccer because well i was traveling a lot and um i i i, I was working at first as a, in a bank uh, that was the first thing i ever did was work in a bank and uh, then i worked for a pharmaceutical company and then my girlfriend at the time when i was i think about 19 years old 20 years old, she entered me into a competition. Can your boyfriend be a male model? Which was the last thing I was actually ever intending to be. And, um, you know, I, I won this competition and I got a, an agency contract and I sort of uh, fell into that world and realized I could make some good money uh, doing that. So I, I still kept my day job until I started earning, you know, decent money, you know, working on with catalog companies. And, and then I got into fashion shows and, uh, Actually, the first fashion show I ever did, which I, I loved, I was so scared. Uh, why? Why were you scared? Well, well, you know, I had Princess Margaret. Was uh, oh. it was a it was a benefit. <laughs> the first was a big gala, and I'm like, oh my god, I've got royalty at the end of the runway, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And uh, so I, <laughs> they gave me this jacket that had had was kind of silk lined inside, and I had, a, I had like this chiffon shirt. You know, I vaguely remember it now. And I was so petrified, I just put the clothes on. I said, okay, get down the end of the runway, turn around, and then come back. <laughs> That's the only instruction I got. So I, I started walking. And as I'm walking, this, this jacket is falling off my shoulders. But I'm too kind of scared, not knowing what I'm supposed to be doing, that this jacket was eventually almost down to the, my elbows by the time I got to the end of the runway. So I inadvertently turned around and wiggled, apparently, my my back end into kind of Princess Margaret's face and, and walked off the stage and they went, I can't believe you just did that. I said, well, what? what did I do? You know? And so, you know, that was my first entry into, you know, as, as being on, on a catwalk. And, you know, after that, you know, my, I danced a lot. 
I loved movement. I was always very athletic. So I started, you know, learning dance, etc. And then when I got to Paris, um, I joined a, uh, another company there, which was uh, kind of fun, um, which was a dance company that toured all across Europe. What made you want to get into dance, Jess? Was it something you were interested in? I mean, because you're an athletic guy and then you're modeling, but what, I mean, what made you choose dance? It was, it, it, you know, it was really weird is that I think all things happen for a reason. I remember when I was probably about 15 years old, I was, I was in a, in a YMCA. It was a, it was a, I was 14, 15 years old, something like that. Next, I was in a YMCA and I, and I started dancing at the time where there was, we had Slade and, and those types of that music. So you're doing the rock type of dance. And I'd never, we never really sort of, I'd never seen black guys dance. And I started seeing them dance. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are good. And they're like, yeah, you, you're pretty good too. And I said, but no, but what you're doing is... So I was always really... So I started getting interested in, in, in that. And then I got... Uh, uh, friends of mine uh, took me to a, a place in London. Uh, there was a group called Torso, which was this all uh, black uh, uh, five guys. They were amazing. They were amazing dancers. And I was like, that's really cool. So I was always kind of geared towards... Because I, lo- I love dance. So I started understanding that and then I kind of got drawn into it um, when I was modeling in Paris by a friend of mine who said to me listen I've got with this dance company that, that they do choreograph shows and I know you've not done a lot of choreography and, and counts of eight and stuff but you know come and see the come and see the the, 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 the rehearsals over here so I was like, all right fine I'll, I'll go so I went over there and he wasn't there so I walk in they said oh you're here for the audition and I went uh, no 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 oh well maybe you should audition I said, no 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 I'm not no no because I'm watching them do all these dance moves and I'm like, oh, I, I can't do that, you know. Um, and then I sat there and I realized two of the guys that were sitting in that room in Paris were two of these guys from this this uh, group called Torso. Uh, Leon and, and Trevor were their names, uh, who became good friends of mine afterwards. And um, so I sat there for the next hour until my friend turned up and I was watching them doing all the choreography. And finally, the guy who was supposed to come in for the audition came in and they said, why don't you just go in? Just go in and just try it. You've been watching us. All right, fine, I do. I, I will. So I went in, and I, I, st- I did it. And they came back and said it wasn't bad. And so they started hiring me um, to uh, to do shows. Uh, first of all, it was just walking, and then it was dance. And, and we did all these kind of uh, small stage productions in different conventions and uh, theater places where we we, we we were doing either modeling the the swimwear or the or the clothes, and it was. It was to a choreographed number, depending on what the show was. So that's how I got into it. And then I went back to England and I studied ballet and I got into all that type of stuff and started working as a choreographer for a couple of times in England. Then I started, then I came to the U.S. Now, did you head to the U.S. to pursue the choreography or, or did you want to get into acting or how did the whole acting come up and, and what did bring you to the U.S.? Well, I had a, the first time I ever went to the U.S. was, was to come, come here to, I was with Ford Models. Uh, in New York, and uh, I I was brought over, and I went to New York, and I spent I think it was about four months in New York, and it was right at the time when the dollar was exactly virtually the same as the pound, which has never happened since. So all my pounds that came over here didn't get me very far. So I went over, and I spent a little time doing that. In the meantime, I'd started taking some acting uh, classes in England, and I started doing some uh, classes in New York when I came over, but I ran out of money. So I had to go back to England. I did some more dance choreography stuff, which was my bread and butter. And then I I, um, I traveled to California because a friend of mine, a, a guy I knew from uh, from Europe, 
I said, listen, I live in I live in Costa Mesa, and uh, you should come down. It, you know, it's, it's it's great, it's beautiful, blah blah blah. The beaches are amazing, the girls are fun, fun, etc., etc. So I came over. I only knew him, and uh, I got here, and I went with the model agency, and I started. Uh, I started, you know, doing the modeling thing here and uh, living the love. I was, I know, I was about 25, 26 at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of spread from there. I got onto a, uh, uh, on an audition for a hair company called Sebastian International. And Sebastian are a very big, uh, well, they were, and they still are, still are big hair, hair, hair company. And they hired me to do, uh, they did it with doing a show, a fashion show in the, um, uh, in Los Angeles, and so I was the one guy, or two, there were two guys in, in the thing, and I played this gigolo type of guy, etc., etc., and this attitude and all this stuff I had on stage, and afterwards they invited everybody to go to dinner. Well, the owners of the, the company were there, and um, it so happened they also happened to be Italian, so I started talking to them in Italian, and they're like, wait, 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 you're Italian, and, and you don't have this attitude, and I said, well, that's what I was playing on stage, it wasn't what, what I normally am, and they said, oh, really, and said, what else are you doing? I said, well, I choreograph my dance. I said, oh, we're looking for a choreographer for our shows around the country. And I said, well, I'll send you my reel. I've got a short reel that I've got. So they saw the reel. I gave an idea about what their first couple of shows when they hired me. So they hired me as a choreographer to start touring uh, the United States with them um, with doing these small shows. And at the same time, while I was back in L.A., I was still studying. I studied, studied, studying as an actor. I was, I was doing classes in L.A. And uh, I kept studying, and I kept working, and studying, and studying, and working, and stuff. And um, that's when I got my first uh, TV gig, uh, which was the Colby's. And now, now was it that was was it on your first audition that you got this, or did you have to go for other auditions? I mean, because so far it seems like you know you're you you've been pretty blessed. You know, you, you you entered the contest to be a model, and you win. Then you start modeling, and then you fall into the choreography. Not fall into because you're a choreographer, but you just make a meet it with these people and you're speaking Italian and you get that gig so how did, how did was that was it Colby's one of your first big auditions or what happened yeah well, you know the interesting thing I, I believe that you know you, you get these opportunities all the time it just depends whether you are smart enough to understand that they are available to you I mean what you ask for is what you will get in life I think but you have to be ready and have to work hard for it because it doesn't always come overnight and I worked really hard to try and be an actor and I didn't expect to be, I didn't have an agent at the time, and I happened to walk into a, um, uh, a, a printing company to have my headshot printed. And I'm standing in, the, in there, and this girl says to me, she heard me talking with an English accent. She says, "Oh, have you been up for James Bond?" And I said, "What?" I said, "Yeah, you know, they casted the new James Bond." And I said, "I said, no, 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 no. I'm just here to do my headshot, and, uh, and I don't even have an agent." She says, "Oh, I've got a great agent for you. She's, she's amazing. She's da da da." I said, and I'm, I'm still to the point thinking I have to work harder to get where I need to get and, and have more experience. So I said, thank you very much, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give me your number and I'll, I'll, I'll think about you know talking to this agent. Well, I get home that afternoon, that evening, and she, I, I get an answer, a, a message on my answering machine that says, uh, "Hi, I just talked to the agent and uh, she wants to meet you and uh, you know, blah 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 blah." And I was like, "How did she get my number?" And so I called her back. I said, excuse me. I said, but uh, I got your message. Thank you very much. But how'd you get my number? She said, well, to be honest, when you were writing it down, the, the, the printers, I kind of copied it. Called, <laughs> called you back. I'm like, oh, okay then. All righty. So, so anyway, so she introduced me to this agent. And uh, I then took a meeting with another agency. But I actually liked 
the agency suggested, and I and I signed with her. And three months after that, uh, I got the audition to do the Colbys, and um, I I auditioned. I think, and I went for a screen test, and, and I got the role. So it was, you know, again, it was fortuitous, but it was really sort of something that uh, if I hadn't replied to her, I wouldn't have gotten that agent. I wouldn't have got the role. Now, what was it like for you when you first went on set? Because you know the Colbys had you know a Charlton Heston. I mean, it, it was you know there's some big names in there. And you, without a big acting background, were you a little nervous going on the set, or were you saying, "I've got this because I've been, I've been working on the acting. I know I have the skills." No, you're kidding me. No, I was petrified. Um, yeah, I mean, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's John Heston and it's John James and there's, there, but there were so many. There's a Stephanie Beecham and 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 it was just like everybody at the time it was this big, you know. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But anyway, so I walk on set. The first person I meet is John Heston. He goes, oh, hello. I've been dying to meet you. I'm thinking, hold on, what are you dying to meet me? I'm, you're Moses. You know, I'm on set. So, uh, but no, what he meant was, was the uh, the fact that um, they've been looking for this role for a long time and they hadn't been able to fulfill it. And I was an English-Italian playing a Russian on an American TV show, which was kind of interesting. But... Uh, it, I, I learned a lot on that show. It was, it was the first show I ever did, and you know, obviously, I made all the mistakes that I could possibly make. And um, but you know, I, I I spent a year doing it, and um, I remember one thing I learned was uh, what a lead in the show was actually capable of being able to do. Because when Chuck Heston was there, there was uh, Tracy Scoggins, who was also one of the uh, one of the uh, leads in the show, uh, who actually came on to Highlander later on. She told me the story. She said, you know, when you first came on the show, there was a, a scene where I had to jump out of a window. And it was like six or seven stories. And I landed on my feet. And Charlton Heston's line was, oh, well, lucky you're not hurt, but it's, it's pretty, it's, it was like, it's lucky you're a dancer. That's because you're not hurt, which was a really dumb line. And, and he's like, I'm not saying that. So he gave it to Tracy Scott and says, here, you say that line. <laughs> so <laughs> she couldn't say no because it was Charlton Heston. So, you know, he got to... Uh, <laughs> I thought it was rather funny. Um, so, right. so now you sit there and, and, and the, the, the Colby's is done. Now, then you start going on to different shows and different auditions. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, from that, I actually uh, actually wanted to be on stage. I mean, you know, I truly believe that, you know, an actor's, an actor's job is, is it's very varied in the sense that you have to learn a lot of different things. In England... Uh, they teach you voice, they teach you movement, they teach you characterization, they teach you scripts at the end of the analysis. And that's the four-year process. So, in one week, you get the, the... I'm losing you. ...experience. Okay. Uh, you're, you're muzzled. Or did, you, uh, hit the, did you hit the uh, mi- microphone? Uh, no, I'm still, no, I'm still on it. Am I good now? You're 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 a little bit fuzzy. Uh, I think that's the uh, internet for you, unfortunately. What's that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't I can't understand you. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Can you hear me? Hello. Yeah, can I'm I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? I can. You're 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 very fuzzy. You sound like you're outside. No, I haven't moved. Okay, that's weird. There's got to be something in the air. Okay, so now you were you were saying uh, you wanted to be on stage. Yeah, I mean, so 
um, I, you know, many English actors spend a lot of time on stage. Um, they they work uh, regional theatres all the time, and that's what how they get their chops. They basically are working this out every day on stage all the time. So, you know, I wanted to do some stage work, and I heard that there was a an English play that I went out for called Bouncers, where it had good success in Los Angeles, and they were moving it to New York, and I, I, I auditioned for it, and I got it. And um, uh, I was now about to move to New York for the next however long the run of the show was going to be. And, um, you know, so I, I got this stage play, but then I got English equity saying, no, you can't, well, equity here, because I was not an equity member at the time. I had They had to do a reciprocal agreement with the English equity to allow me to work in New York. So they almost stopped me from rehearsing, which was a real hassle, really, because that's what I really wanted to do was, you know, work on stage. And um, so I went to New York and uh, I started doing the, the, the play. It was a grueling play to do, but I loved every minute of it. It's called Bouncers. I played like 13 characters, you know, during the stage play itself. And from that, I got a casting director saw me um, for a film that was being cast in New York for um, Daphne Zuniga and Tom Berenger. And uh, they, it was a, an Italian hitman, don't figure. And uh, I got the role, and they uh, were supposed to be shooting in New York, and I started talking to the the, uh, the director, who was Don Belisario, who had also done uh, Magnum P.I. And he uh, he liked what I was doing, and he said, you know what, we should extend your role and, and take you to Mexico with us to, to shoot some scenes there as well. So then I was off to Mexico to, to shoot a couple of scenes there, which was, you know, I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. Um, by that point, the play was uh, had lost its, um, uh, its run. It didn't do extremely well in New York uh, at the time. It did okay, but not... Uh, so they, so then I was out of a job and uh, started to move back to LA, and I moved back to LA and started, um, you know, auditioning again. Now, how did the Highlander audition come up? And were you a fan of the movie, or did you know it was going to be a big series? Because you're a working actor, and as you said, you know, you're working, you're doing stage, so you have to think right now that your skills, you're, you're at the top of your game. I mean, there's got to be, you know, because especially I'm sure doing that long run. Of, of stage and your movie, you, you got to be feeling confident. So how did the Highlander role come up to you? You know, I don't think you're ever on the top of your game. you just got to keep sharpening the knife. And I, I think you have to constantly keep working at it because you, it will get dull for you. And, and as you get older and as you do more stuff, you, you start having a bag of tricks. And again, I hate to, to, to call it that, but it really is that because if suddenly you get called in and you, you're shooting in two days' time, you better be able to know how to create a character and, and um, know what your job is in the script uh, as, as that particular character you're playing. So you really start getting a bag of tools. And sometimes that can become, that can be if you do TV for too long, that becomes detrimental because you just keep going to those bag of tools and you're not exploring some other avenue of you actually being able to be, be an actor. So... You know, I I was still working at trying to. I was still stuck. Hello, sorry about that. That's all right, cool. Trouble, so with, trouble with Skype is is that when you get a call, it it, uh, it basically stops you from um, from uh, uh, having the Skype call. You get a call, it'll put your call on hold. See, for me, for me, I'm not popular, so nobody calls me. So, <laughs> so, um, now, so now you're sitting you're here, you're feeling, you said you, you never feel like you're on the top of your game. 
No, I, th I think, you know, there's always things you can learn. I think, you know, each role you have. A great acting teacher told me once, he said, you know, as you change as an actor, you'll change as a human being. And as you change as a human being, you'll change as an actor. Because you take those things into you, into the roles, and, they, and they're interchangeable. And I think he was right when he said it, because, you know, in reality, it's a, it, it, it is a process. You are recreating life, and trying to recreate moments and characters as you, um, as you play different roles. So, so when you went for the Highlander audition, did how did you feel, and what, what did your agent say to you? Did they say it was going to be it's going to be a series? Did you think it would run? I mean, because well, well, I'd done I'd done two series by that point. I'd done um, War of the Worlds, where I'd actually gone into change, uh, you know, exchange a character. So, in other words, you know, I replace a character, should I say? And when I went in, I was, you know, it was it was it basically happened that they said, oh, you know, a lot of the fans were like, I can't believe they brought another guy in because they. They're already sort of um, invested in that particular character. So when the Highlander came along, I heard that they were casting the Highlander. And I, I'd actually, six months or so before, had seen the original poster, or poster for number two in a casting office. And I kind of went, I'm going to do something with this. I really do believe that there's something there for me. And uh, I got this audition. And I was the first person they ever saw for the role. I, I walked in to the audition in... Um, it was in a hotel in uh, uh, Beverly Hills, and I walked in. There was a casting agent, the director, and the, uh, and the producers, and, and uh, uh, you know, I said to them, oh, "So, listen, guys, you don't have to walk, look anymore. You just found your guy." And they're looking at me like, "Oh, you're an arrogant young little," you know. Um, but I truly <laughs> believe that I actually had something that, to offer for this. So anyway, I left the room after an hour of talking to them and discussing, you know, how much I really did like the show, the, the film itself, and. Um, I then got called back to do a reading. Then I got called back again to do a, uh, a screen test, and it had gotten down to five guys uh, between... You know, they, I think they, they, they cast in uh, London and uh, New York and Los Angeles. And there was five of us, and then it got down to two of us, apparently, I heard. And my agent said, well, um, you know, we did a screen test, and it's three weeks after the screen test. Usually, they're pretty certain about what's going to happen, and they were... They were about to shoot. The shoot date was coming up in like four or five days or the following week. And he said, you know, I'll tell you the truth, Adrian. I said, at this point, I've seen a lot of deals. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think this is gone. They've probably gone with the other guy because they're supposed to shoot. They would have told us by now. So he said, I'm, I'm going on vacation. And uh, so he left for vacation, left his assistant in charge. And um, two days later, which was on the Thursday, I think it was, or the Friday of that week, uh, I got a call and uh, on my phone by, from the assistant saying, uh, you got the role and you're leaving on Monday. Now, no, no. so it's just like that. And now, now where were you going? Uh, Vancouver. Okay, now, now were you looking forward to going to Vancouver because you're an L.A. guy and now you're living in L.A.? But what was your, you know, what was your thoughts about that? No, I, no, I love traveling. So, you know, going to Vancouver was another adventure. You know, I'm off on the next one. And I've always been like that. I always love going to different places because they're adventures you're going on. And so going to Vancouver was great. The one trepidation I had was that I was still going to play Connor McLeod. And I was going to be replacing, you know, the Christophe Lambert role from the original movie. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's a real danger that is. I, uh, and as luck would have it, they said, well, hold on a second. We're, we're going to push shooting for a week because it looks like Christophe Lambert is going to be able to do the first episode of the show. Because he was... Uh, persuaded by the uh, producers 
and so they found me a different name and we came up with a, a different name uh, mine was it was Con- uh, originally it was Connor they came up with Duncan but I think Ian and, and a couple of other names floated about but eventually I became Duncan which I was extremely happy about because then I just didn't have to you know try and match something that everybody was already so familiar with now when you started that show did they say it was going to be one full season because I don't know Holly was different like Hollywood now they'll do four episodes and the show's off yeah. they don't really commit back then the seasons were longer it wasn't I mean so many times you know I watch HBO shows and all of a sudden you're really loving the show and then after eight episodes the season is done and you're like what yeah. What the hell happened so when you signed up did they say it was a definitely a first uh, a one definite season. one season yeah one season yeah it was a one season it was a syndicated show, which basically means that it wasn't a network. It was going to be syndicated. In other words, sent to different channels around the country and around the world, and you know, foreign as well. Because it was a it was a five uh, country uh, co-production initially, uh, and after the first season, it almost got cancelled. Uh, was that because of the ratings, or why was it almost yeah, cancelled? I I, I, I'm not sure what the reason was. I can't remember if it was the the ratings or because the one country wanted to pull out and they didn't have the money. I, I can't I can't remember what the reason for it was, but eventually they it became a French French Canadian co-production uh, with American money basically, and um, it was uh, originally it was a French Italian Japanese German American production. So it was it, it was very different. It was a very different type of production. So now it starts gaining momentum, and then when you find out after the first season it's going to be picked up, you got to be really happy. Yeah, I'm extremely happy. My mother said to me when I first got the call, she said, uh, I was extremely excited. I said, Mom, I've got this show, I'm getting paid this, this. She said, oh, you've got to be careful about Hollywood. You be careful. And I always kind of remembered about that, but, you know, uh, getting a second season on a show, which I'd not had before, because Colby's went one season, or the World's went one season. You know, um, and I'd always have guest star roles. To have a second season, and it was my show, was like, wow, that's kind of cool. So, um, you know, I was I was very happy about it. Now, what is it like when it is, as you say, your show? What are the responsibilities you have to have? Because you know, basically, you know, I know there's a creator and a producer, but you're the face of the show. Like, did you feel certain responsibilities that you never felt before? Yeah, I mean, gradually as you get into it, I mean, uh, you know, the the when you have a character that goes that long, eventually comes into the second season, they're really writing towards what the actor can bring to it, as well as what the character's role is. And, you know, my responsibilities got greater as we went along, and I was very, very involved in, you know, all aspects of, of Highlander, including, you know, some of the edits and some of the uh, of the writing. Um, you know, I mean, I'd be in contact with David Abramos every week discussing the next show about what they were trying to accomplish so I could sort of... Um, you know, add my uh, my piece to it without being detrimental to what they were trying to achieve in the show, and um, you know, it was it was it was really good because you know I, I was pushing the boundaries in the sense that you know I I truly believed that a successful show was about characterization, it wasn't about the story of the week, and um, you know that was one thing I, I I worked very hard with and worked with all the other actors that came in to make sure there was a relationship happening. <coughs> so, um, you know, the responsibilities, I mean, it was it was a grueling, I mean, I, I was working six, seven days a week uh, while, while I was actually shooting because it wasn't just 
well, the next episode's coming on. I'm shooting this episode. I also had the choreography to look at. I was looking at the dailies every day because so, I wanted to see what directors were doing. And, you know, uh, so I, I got involved in all, most aspects of the show. Now, as the show's getting popular, and, you know, because you got picked up for the second season, it went for a few seasons, how was it changing your life? Were people recognizing you? I mean, you know, you, you were a model, and, you know, model, we see, we'll see a model in the ad. We'll see, you know, you were on different TV shows, and people will recognize you, you know, but this all of a sudden, you're, you're also a character in that realm of, you know, that kind of realm of action and, you know, sci-fi or whatever is considered. The fans are very... Uh, very, very, not rabid fans, but they're very big, enthusiastic, knowledgeable fans. How does your life start changing? Well, it, uh, um, it changed in the sense that I started getting recognized. And obviously, as the show went on longer, the more I got recognized. So the first year, you know, it was, it was funny. It was really, I could liken it to getting permits in Paris. Because when we went to Paris, nobody knew what they'd heard about the film, maybe, but they'd not heard about the series. They didn't know, they didn't care. And there's a lot of bureaucracy in France when you actually have to get permits to shoot somewhere. And, uh, you know, we would have two weeks to get permits, and it was a struggle to try and get permits for locations inside Paris until the second year. Once they were there, they were like, oh, I don't know. Yes, I know that show. And permits started getting, becoming easier. So it was the same thing with fans that, you know, the, the more it got shown, the more um, visibility I got, and the more difficult it started getting to go into places without people coming up and saying, hey, saw the show, loved it. That was great at first. Then when you start getting mobbed everywhere you go, it, uh, it started really intruding in, in your own space. Yeah, what's the feeling? I always wonder, what's the feeling of, like, getting mobbed? I mean, you know, you sit there, and, and as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a great character. It's a bigger-than-life character, you know. And it's a, it's a rugged, handsome character. So you're going to get mobbed more than like a, a guy who plays a little nerd. What's it like, though? Like, let's say you go shopping and you just want to sit there and get a loaf of bread and some maybe <laughs> some stuff. And then people recognize you. I mean, it must be very odd. I mean, because you want to be gracious and grateful, but you also just want to get your damn bread and get out of there. I mean, was there any really crazy amounts of people that ever came up to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I uh... You know, it's funny. I think you have to really sort of. My mother's always like, keep your feet on the ground, keep your feet on the ground. And so, that's it's. I think the the issue is a lot of the time is when you get all that attention, it can go to your head because you constantly are having people saying yes, 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 and nobody's saying no. And um, you know, when you have that amount of attention, you've got to be very careful as to who it turns you into. And um, when Highlander happened, I, you know, I, I'd be walking down. I remember going to Spain and being, you know, mobbed in, in some, I'd like to go in sightseeing, but with my couple of friends, we would chase down the street by these, by these group of, uh, of kids who suddenly saw who I was. I mean, I had long hair, so it was, it was a little, <laughs> I was a little identifiable, <laughs> you know, um, or I was in the Vatican and I got these screaming girls coming at me inside the Vatican and I nearly got kicked out because they were screaming. I was like, sorry, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing here, you know, um, so it was, it was different. It was eventually you start trying to hide yourself to start not get that type of attention. But then you know the interesting thing is is that when you didn't have it, it it felt okay. When you did have it, it felt great. And then when it was too much, it was like, 
not so much anymore. Then when you don't get it as much, you're like, well, where is it? Right. <laughs> you know, it goes. You go through the whole you know roller coaster of it. Now I want to talk more about Highlander, but I want to talk about your your new your new your events, the uh, Sword Experience. Yeah, that's. Uh, I just started that uh, this year, actually. And um, I, well, I, I should say I tested it last year uh, at about five venues across the U.S. and uh, it did very well. And well, so I opened it up um, here now as a as a as a full. It's called the Sword Experience. Now, yeah, explain to my listeners what it is. And first of all, tell me how did you get so involved with martial arts? Was it from the Highlander and the Sword from that, or were you interested in this before you did that show? And did you ever think it would culminate into this cool event that people can come to? No, I actually, I actually did. Um, I, I trained as a. I, I was training before I got Highlander. You know, just not really deep into martial arts, but I was training, and so I. Um, I, I picked up a sword. I'd done some taekwondo, a little boxing, you know. Uh, and then I got Highlander, and then I really got deep, deep into it because, you know, again, I truly believed I had to work hard at, at, at learning things. So I was, I was working, you know, on set and off of set. You know, I, I, I picked up Hung Gar Kung Fu. I, I, I worked on different sword techniques. I was doing all of that. So that really was my in, initiation, should I say, to, to sword work and martial arts. Uh, really deep into it when I was in my you know 30 I was about 25 30 30 years old so um, I didn't start when I was young I was very physical but you know in reality the I, the choreography also helped and the dance also helped because it is movement and so learning a kata is very similar to learning choreography where you're putting pieces together to be able to remember it eventually understanding what the te- techniques do and how you how you use them is another aspect but you know that was the um, the initiation into uh, into martial arts for me. And now, when did the all the sword stuff come in big time? Well, obviously doing Highlander. I mean, you know, I was doing different types of weapons for five, six years, constantly. You know, three hours a day, two hours a day. So, and, so you sit there like, besides having to learn your lines and do all that stuff and figure out the acting, you would have to actually put rehearsal time in with with the, with the swords and stuff every single day. Yeah, there was there was pretty much that. I mean, every every other day, you know. Eventually, as you got better, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I had a very great first teacher who was uh, Bob Anderson, and um, I had some good sword uh, masters on my show. And uh, Bob Anderson was, you know, renowned at the time, and uh, he passed away about three years ago. Uh, God bless him. He was a lovely man, and um, he. Uh, he was the head of the Olympic uh, fencing team. He, he was in the, the Olympics, and he was the head of the uh, British fencing team for 30 years. And he really taught me the fencing aspects of sword work, which then I took it to the Chinese and the Japanese version of learning those techniques. Because, you know, my martial art teacher, my Sifu, said to me, you know, a great martial artist like a, a swordsman is very much like a painter. He takes different colors and he uses them for his painting. And I, I liken that to creating Duncan MacLeod himself and in his sword work, he would use different things all the time that he would be able to um, utilize because he, he, he was fighting so many different forms and different techniques that, um, you know, he, um, he could, his style changed as, as the series went on. 
So, so you have all this sort of experience. So how do you end up starting off this sort of experience? When did the, when did the seed plant in your head? And as I said, you, you did it. And then now you, you're going, or, you know, you're going overseas. I mean, how did it, how did you formulate this whole idea? And, and how did you know, did you just have an instinct that people would be interested? Uh, well, I've been asked many times to do a sword video, to do some seminars and things of this nature. And I, and I, I sort of, not wanted to do it and I didn't have the time to do it and it wasn't the time it wasn't the right time I, I didn't think at the, at, the, at the stage and um, now with all the advent of so many different uh, sword shows you know you've got Game of Thrones you've got Into the Badlands you've got uh, there's, there's so many different ones now that uh, you know I thought well, it could be interesting to do something but it, it didn't happen that way it was actually happened because uh, somebody asked me to um, for my charity the Peace Fund uh, which started during 97, just at the end of Highlanders' run, um, I decided to do a sword experience for uh, to raise some money for, for, for a kid. And um, I had a lot of people asking me about it, and they said, no, we want you to do it again. And so I started putting it on in a couple of conventions to see how it would go. And so, and what would you what would you do with it? What what would you do? Like, let's say you had the show, and you did it for, when you when you first did it for the charity. What would the show consist of? Um, it was. Uh, I would take a, a piece of choreography that they would learn from, which is very similar to what I do now, but in a very different way. Uh, a piece of choreography that they would learn, and uh, they would have, you know, the, uh, the, the the choreography, and they'd learn the technique, and they'd learn the difference between um, uh, movie fighting and, and real fighting. And um, so it, that was how it started, and it was a two-hour class. Which uh, is now my co- I have two different sword experiences now. One is the con experience, which is a <clears throat> two and a half hour, three hour experience, where they get a, a, you know a, a, at a con. Uh, we just did the first one in Houston that we themed, so we theme the the actual sword fight, and then we put it on film so that they can actually see themselves on film, okay. uh, you know, fighting on you know on, on stage and see what it's like. Uh, the other sword experience I have is a five-hour sword experience, four and a half, five hours, where uh, they're not at cons, they're, they're private locations, uh, like our first one, which was uh, the Lorimar Winery in Temecula, and another location we had in, um, um, where was it, uh, Chicago, uh, was a, a great, oh, it's called Artifact Events, that was a, a great space, because it was like a loft, so I took a, a, a choreography from one of the Highlander loft fights and, and put it inside that. And then I have London, which is going to be in Cressing Temple, which is a huge, uh, these old um, medieval barns. So it's going to be a real kind of gruesome, you know, hand-to-hand type of battle fight. And then I've got uh, Stuttgart. Stuttgart's in a music hall, which is the turn of the century. Uh, elegant, more elegant type of style fight. So we changed the choreography to suit the space, and therefore you get the experience of being there. And as we we move the experiences forward, there'll be other things that people will be able to, to get, which will be discounts of certain certain goods that were in the area, restaurants and things like that. So we, we give people an experience to figure out what it's like to do sort of stuff, but then have a great day out and have fun doing it. Now, now let's say, let's say someone wants to go to this and uh, they've never picked up a sword. Can they still come? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of my people, I've had such a variety of people. And I, you know, one of the things I say is respect your opponent and respect your weapon. Two reasons. One, your opponent can be experienced or not so you've got to really understand there's a relationship there and there's teamwork it's a team teamwork uh, that, that, that happens when you do this and 
sometimes somebody has a lot of experience and sometimes people have none at all and it's okay because you're learning together you're learning that fight together one can help the other so i've had people that are sword choreographers i've had people that are um uh, uh, reenactment groups that actually do real battle type of stuff they want to learn what the difference between it is um which helps because you know i've learned the different you know there are certain things that you learn doing both so you can understand what the difference is when you are doing a real fight when you're doing a, a choreograph fight what the parameters are for each so each people come for different reasons now your website which people just you know check it out is the sword on the front page it says learn train fight now now so let's say what how does the five-hour process start someone shows up they check in what's the first thing they do warm up <laughs> so they just you just do you exercise them i mean do they do, yeah, have they touched a sword yet or they just well, no nobody touches anything until first of all i've gone through the safety uh features of uh swinging a sword and um uh, and moving around the space with the sword we I, I do start that very clearly because i think you know that's one of the things you have to learn whether you're doing you know you're picking up a weapon whether it's a wooden weapon because we, we use bokens which are wooden weapons whether it's a wooden weapon or a metal, metal weapon, it can still hurt somebody. It's still pointed. It's a stick. It can, you know, poke you in the eye. It can do certain things. So you want to learn the safety techniques. Then you want to warm up so I don't want anybody injured. You know, people, knees, ankles, shoulders. And I teach them the difference between, you know, what it's like to to, to be in, a, in different positions and what the strains on the bodies are in those positions. So even people that have experience might get a little uh, uh, knowledge going, oh, wait a minute, yeah, I, I, I have a habit of doing that. And I, I've got a bad back and I didn't realize that's why I, I got that bad back. So at that point, I then, once everybody's done that, they're warmed up properly, I actually turn around and I actually um, allow people to uh, start learning the choreography. The class is split in half. One side learns the well, choreography for one side of the fight. The other class learns it with, with our assistance. And uh, after a while, once we've gone through all those, all those techniques for every single person that I go to, then we put the people together. They go to their partners and they start putting it together. And if there's enough time and people are experienced enough, then I will actually switch the partners. So I will put partners together that have not fought together and they have to work it out for the first few minutes and then, uh, and then put it together again themselves. So it goes through a whole process uh, during the time. And, and it's a workout. It's not just standing around. It's a workout. Um, you know, but I've had people that have had knee problems. I've had people that have had back problems uh, that uh, go, well, I actually didn't think I could do this, but actually I can. So, you know, I think um, you can come from all walks of life in this particular uh, uh, type of experience. Now, how did, how did you choose on your locations because I just said they all do seem very different and which must be great for you because you're giving this cool experience and for you on the creative side you can as you said you can make them the different theme to what their location is how did you sit there how do you come up with your locations do you sit there and you brainstorm with someone and say I want to do the show here or how does that come up well that's the tricky part when, when it comes to a con it's slightly easy because I need this amount of space and let's try and do this theme. I mean, before we weren't doing themes, but I think that's part of the experience is to sort of feel like you're on a movie set. So, uh, for instance, Minneapolis, when we go to Minneapolis uh, in, um, uh, when is it, October, it's close to Halloween. So it's going to be a Halloween sort of experience. So it's going to be more of a, 
Walking Dead type of theme, type of uh, feeling. And um, but in, re in reality, when we're picking our own locations, it does also come down to price because some locations I'd love to do it in are way out of our price range. You know, it doesn't make sense to do it because paying $5,000 or $10,000 to, to rent the space for half a day doesn't really make sense. Um, I, I would be doing it for free at that point. Right. <laughs> well, I'd be paying me for people money to do it. Um, so sometimes it comes down to price as well as the space, what it looks like, what type of fight I can do. So that's how we kind of choose them. Now, what is the size of the amount of people that come? Does that depend on the space? Uh, sometimes, usually, you know, we like uh, the, the Houston, for instance, and uh, when we did um, Pittsburgh, there were fifty people in the in the room. Um, uh, well, actually, fifty people participants in uh, in Houston and twenty uh, spectators, because some people can come and spectate as well, and. Um, so it, you need at least four, four five thousand square feet to really accommodate those people swinging swords. So what? How, how are people's when they get done? What is their reaction? And, and they come because they're fans of yours. And it must be something. It's it's sort of like you know when you see when I was little, I went to a Philadelphia Phillies baseball camp, and we got to go down on the the Veteran Stadium's grass and well AstroTurf, and and it was a great feeling. And so for these people who have followed your career and are interested in swords, how's their interaction with you? Are they just are they just taken aback? Like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have different comments. Of course, you know, it's it, it is nice to. I mean, some people say it's the there this would be on their bucket list, which is awesome. Um, and it, it is, you know, uh, it, it is very nice. But I, I want to make sure that it's not just about coming to meet me. It's about them having a good experience so that they can tell everybody else that this is a cool way to exercise and a cool day out to, 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 to have and learn something at the same time. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very, actually, I, I'm very strict in the class. It's not, this is not a whole oh, high, let's just swing this around. You've got to do it properly, and uh, you know there's no messing around, and, and this is a proper class that we that we run. Now, have you ever have you had anyone who showed up on these experiences that you just watch them and go, "Holy crap, that person is really good." Yeah, there's, there, I mean, there are some people. Obviously, there are different skill levels, and there's some people that are good. Yes, absolutely. You know, and you and you try to. Uh, I can tell immediately when somebody picks a sword up and when they first do their first swing, whether or not they've had training or not. And, you know, I can immediately say, I mean, one guy that we had when we were in Temecula, I said, you've had a, a lot of experience. And he says, yeah, I, I know. He says, I said, I know this might be a bit slow for you. He said, no, 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 but it's you, man. <laughs> so I was like, oh, thanks, thanks. But, you know, so hopefully he got something out of it as well. But, uh, you know, some people that have a lot of training, I know there's a, like in anything, everybody has a snobbery into, well, you know, this is this. And I don't think I get anything from it. But uh, we try to sort of, you know, cater to sort of everybody so that everybody does get fulfilled when they do the, do the experiences. Now, you said the first one was uh, to raise money for the Peace Fund. Yes. Now, how did you start that? And how did, why did you become involved? And I think it's just, you know, this is, uh, uh, I think it's great that, you know, you're one of the people that give back because, you know, it's so good when celebrities give back because you guys have a voice. And I think a lot of times celebrities don't use their voice enough to raise funds. I mean, a lot do, don't get me wrong, but I think it's great and it takes someone special to do that. How did you decide to get involved with this and how did, how did it all come to fruition? Um, well, um, 
it started off with Highlander and um, uh, I say, it started off with Highlander and ba basically I uh, I wanted to uh, give it back because I was getting a lot of uh, a lot of um, kids and that coming to me and sort of uh, uh, being um, extremely um, uh, enamored by you know the Highlander the world so I said to them you know um, let's let's try and do something where I can actually give something back to, to society and I'd always wanted to when I was a kid I'd always thought you know that uh, this was something I really wanted to do but um, uh, can you hold on a sec yes just at my office now and I've just uh, got to open the door okay no problem this is a yeah, sorry. Um, so what I was saying was, you know, the, the kids, I'd always wanted to sort of help. I don't know why, but that was one of my, my, my things in life. You know, I wanted to travel the world, I wanted to meet pretty ladies, and I wanted to help kids. That's really what, I don't know why that was, but that's what, I, what it was. So I, when I got Highlander and I saw this massive support I was getting through kids, I was like, I want to do something for kids. I wanted, that's what I want to do. So I started an organization called Peace, the Peace Fund, Protect, Educate, Aid, Children Everywhere. And I went from, you know, uh, under the auspices of Athletes and Entertainers for Kids, which was, at the time, Shaq O'Neill was the uh, the face of it, and they gave me a program that I could run with called School Makes a Difference, which we took into different schools and around Los Angeles and Denver and New York and places like that, that we were able to sort of give kids some inspiration in their schooling and in, in life lessons etc I started that's how the Peace Fund started uh, until about 2001 when I stopped it because I was so busy with doing stuff and I realized I couldn't go any further with it because it was time consuming I didn't have an organization behind me I had a few people that were that were helping so I really wanted to restructure it and then when the, the tsunami happened in uh, 2000 three I think it was I, re I I picked the things back up again because I um, my brother was involved in Thailand and uh, I wanted to help the people in Thailand the kids that lost all their families and every they'd lost everything and uh, so I raised money through a lot of auctions etc the peace fund then kind of changed because it turned into an organization that was partnering with other organizations to try and help them and at that point, you know, we've partnered now with Cambodia, Pakistan, um, uh, Thailand, uh, Haiti, United States, uh, Romania, Hungary. We've done events in a lot of different places. So, you know, it's kind of evolved. But the same focus is always there, protecting, educating, aiding uh, children everywhere. That's awesome, man. That's Thank you for doing that. that, that you know, we need, we need more people. We need more, more programs like that. You know, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily need more programs. I think what it needs is a, is a collective a collectiveness of programs because there are a lot of organisations doing some great things out there, but they're not they're doing it on their own. And much like Facebook does for you, you you can actually uh, put your, your powers together and work together to actually do what you're trying what your mandate is actually allowing needing you to do what your mission statement is. So we created a place called the Peace Fund Radio. Which I do every every Wednesday at eleven a.m. Um, 
And what it is is really what, what, what station is it on? What, what's it's, it? It's actually on LA Talk Radio, but it's actually if you call, if you listen to Peace Fund Radio, um, I've been doing it for three and a half years, and uh, we have people across the country and across the world that call in. We 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 talk to celebrities who have their own charities. We have people that uh, are uh, uh, are passionate about the charities that they have. We we highlight young kids around the country who have uh, done things for the communities or for the in their lives they've started their own charity and there are so many that are very similar and we started being able to put them together for instance we had somebody uh, we had somebody come in who was doing something in El Salvador which is the world's most violent country and they were trying to bring luci lights into that which is a this small LED type light that can power an entire room um, or entire house with this small $15 light well, they were taking them down there, and they wanted to raise money. I said, well, come into the show. I knew the, the person who was uh, the head of the organization because I'd worked together before, Kimberly Moore Foundation. And she came on the show, and, she, uh, and I actually just so happened uh, we'd had a young school, uh, young um, kids from a school in the Midwest who had raised money for the Peace Fund. And I said to uh, while we were live on the show, I said, well, it so happens that you're raising money for the Luchi Lights. We have these kids that raise money for the Peace One. We will give you that money and we will match. Did that. Oh, my gosh. I said, what else do you need for this, this to work? I said, well, the kids there don't have any school. They don't have any light. They don't have any books on education. I said, well, it just so happens we have an organization that can get you the books and the computers. So we put the organizations together so we were able to find the lights. We were able to do the, the, the computers and the books all because we had connections to different people. And that's what I think happens sometimes is that you can actually connect different like-minded individuals to actually solve a problem in different ways. And so that's just one of the instances we've, we've been successful. And I think that's the, the way the world has got to go. We have a few minutes left. Um, you know, you have this sort of experience coming. What's up with the acting now? Or do you, or do you still have, do you have time to act? You seem to have so much stuff going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I did a little film uh, recently. I'm actually producing and directing as well. Uh, I've got uh, two films we're in the process of funding at the moment. Um, I'm hoping to hear about those in the next day. Uh, you know, these are, these are projects that, um, I mean, I still want to act. Uh, you know, roles are less for me now because I'm older and it's all about the 25-year-old. Um, but, uh, you know, I still do do projects and, and I'm developing my own that, uh, you know, is the next stage of the evolution, if you like. Now, what's it like when you go to a con? Do the people just go insane? You know, they used to go more insane. I mean, let's put it like this. Now it's... Uh, the young girl comes up to my table, and then before it was like, oh, my God, I love you, I love you. Now it's like, my mom loves you, my grandma loves you. <laughs> but, but you still get, you still get the girls coming up to you. Well, you know, usually for the, but there's still, you know, a very strong Highlander um, uh, following out there. And, you know, everybody keeps asking me, about the new film that's going to be coming out, and I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about it, but I do hear that it's it's being handled at the moment. Well, now also must be you get different newer crowds because now it's like you can watch any, you can find any show anywhere now. Like so, if some kid wants to see that find the Highlander episodes, you know he can go find it, and that must you must be getting a, a, a new fan base somewhat too. Yeah, that does happen actually. We I have younger fans now, uh, which is kind of nice. Uh, the people that you know, in the 
now finally the parents can allow their kids to watch it. When we were doing the show back in the 90s, it was called the most violent show on TV. And I was like, really? I mean, today, that's just that's child's play compared to what's on TV now. Yeah, so, that, must, that must be amazing for you. Like, just the difference how TV's changed. Oh, it's, it's drastically, you know, and, and the content. I mean, it's all due to cable because there's no restrictions. And it allows for grittier TV and better writing. I think most of the money now is in TV than any than actually films. Now, what's your long term for the sword experience? What would you like to see happen with it? Just to be in every state, or would you have overkill, or how do you want to run that? No, I, I think it's. Um, I think what's going to happen with it is it's going to go corporate uh, in the sense that uh, because it's a team building exercise. I want to once we've done this first year. Uh, we're going to start looking at tours in different countries. I'm going to be developing it as a as a an event to take to as a vacation as well. So that you, um, we're going to probably take it so that we can uh, hone it for like um, a retreat. So you go away to Tulum, Mexico, for instance, and you spend three days there. Uh, yoga, good food, meditation, relaxation, ruins, sword experience, uh, you know, etc. So that will there'll be a whole thing. So there's two different ways we're we're moving forward on it, uh, as well as corporate, which is you know taking it to corporations and you know getting their their employees out on a day where they can actually you know work together to do something physical. I'm going to tell you something. You know what I see in the, in the, in, the, in the next two years. I, I, I see you being on Shark Tank and pitching this and, <laughs> and getting those major investors. Because I've seen programs like this, and with your celebrity involved, the Sharks would be crazy not to snap it up. Well, you know, I mean, the, yeah, it's, a, it's a great program, Shark Tank. I love it, and I, I think they, they're very smart in how they, they look at businesses. And, um, you know, hopefully it, uh, it uh, can grow. I mean, obviously you have to take it to the next level for them to go. It's not just a... You know, a million dollar business. It has to be a multi million dollar business, which it can be. Um, Once you get corporations involved and, and 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 team building, that's that's multi multi million. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know, that could be uh, could be interesting. So, okay, we've got to wrap up soon. Now, tell me, uh, tell tell the listeners uh, all your sort of experience things coming up. How they can get in touch with you. All the info on you and the sort of experience. Well, sort of experience is uh, um, at sortexperience.com. And uh, we're going to be coming to uh, what was our next one? Uh, London, Stuttgart, uh, Pensacola, uh, uh, New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire. Then I believe Los Angeles as well, possibly Denver, and then possibly also um, it might go into Nassau Bahamas for the uh, cruise, which is the Wizard World cruise in December, which we're doing. So that's probably this year's schedule going to be taken care of i may do one other in between but then um there's if people want to find me i'm at adrian paul one on twitter and uh official adrian paul or the adrian paul site on uh, on facebook i want to thank you for coming on man this is this is good i'm glad we got to hook it up because well, last week we had a little misunderstanding <laughs> <laughs> no problem but people check him out also people follow me on twitter i'm at cooper talk that's at cooper talk Go to my website, coopertalk.net, where I have uh, five. I just posted an episode this morning. So I have 517 episodes up there. You can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. That always works. Instagram, coopertalk1. Words with friends, I will play you, coopertalk1. And iTunes, Stitchers, type one word, coopertalk. And don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. It was four years ago, uh, 
this past week that I was in the hospital with my heart condition, I got out, like would have been like yesterday or two days ago. And I wrote that book. It's 120 low sodium recipes, easy to make, no pictures to intimidate you, no long list of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need to use cumin. So there's 120 recipes. You can buy it at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. But if you go to stopthesalt.com, I will sign it for you and I will make more money. And it's all about me making money because you want to keep listening to the show. So people do me a favor. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Go check out Adrian Paul One at Cooper Talk. Go to the Sword Experience. It's cool stuff. And look at his IMDb. Go check out some of his old shows. Go watch The Highlander. And when you see him, say hi. Even the young kids. Just don't tell them that your your mom and grandmother love them. Say you love them. So anyway, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.